In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, today's gospel lesson is long, and there's a lifetime worth of sermons in just this one text. Uh, But I'm going to focus on only one part of what Jesus says today and talk about how what he says today fits with the rest of Scripture, what we know of what the Lord says elsewhere. So I'm going to preach on Jesus' parable, his analogy in the middle uh, about the unclean spirits. Jesus says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person. This is just another way of saying when someone has become a Christian. Uh, Here's why. Because we are all born with an unclean spirit uh, within us. This is what Ephesians chapter 2 talks about when it says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins, that you are following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So that the, the natural state of a person is to have an evil spirit that works in you as it works in all of the sons of disobedience. So that is the natural state of man. Now, when God redeems you and makes you his own, he kicks out that unclean spirit from you and he moves in and he dwells in you and takes the place of that spirit. This is what Galatians 4, 6 says, that because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts. So that there's no middle ground here, either an unclean spirit or spirits dwell in you or the Holy Spirit. If you've, seen, if you've been here for uh, more than a year, you've seen a baptism here at Zion. And you know that right from the middle there, uh, as, as the father and mother holding the baby, uh, there's a part in the baptismal rite where the pastor says, Depart, you unclean spirit, make room for the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus says... When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, he's talking about that moment when someone has been baptized, when they're made a Christian, when the Holy Spirit then dwells in them, takes, uh, takes place in them. Uh, now, <clears throat> Jesus says that the unclean spirit doesn't like this. He says that for them, being cast out of a person is like wandering through a hot, dry desert without water. This is what Jesus means when he says It passes through, this spirit passes through waterless places seeking rest. And the rest that the unclean spirit is looking for is a nice, a cool, air-conditioned place, which is what our bodies are like to them. That is their home, or so they think. Then Jesus says this, he says, And finding none, that unclean spirit says, I will return to my house from which I came. In other words, the unclean spirit wanders around and he checks back in occasionally, looking in the window, seeing if anyone is home, trying to possess the person again. And then Jesus says, and when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Now, these words are a bit confusing until you hear Matthew's account, which records one specific detail that Luke uh, doesn't. And Matthew says, when it comes, it's the same text, when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept and put in good order. And the key there is that the house is empty. 
The heart is empty. So, in fact, when you're selling a house, you clean up your house. In fact, that's probably the only time that your house is the cleanest, <laughs> is when you're not living in it, when nobody's living in it. So then the house is put in order, the, the spirit comes back and sees it's empty. And I think you can guess what this means. That if the unclean spirit finds that your heart is empty, that means that the Holy Spirit no longer is dwelling there. Then he comes back. That the unclean spirit comes back, but not in the same way he did before, but with a vengeance. Jesus says it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself And they enter and dwell there. In other words, they're like squatters who just wander around looking for an empty home. And when they find one, they move in and then they bring in all of their friends who are worse than they are. And they take over and trash this home. And then Jesus finally says this, what the whole point of this section is about. He says these words. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So I'll put it as as clearly and plainly and simply as I can. These words, what Jesus says today, is what happens when someone becomes a Christian and then falls away. It happens when someone was rescued from the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, who has had the Holy Spirit dwell in their flesh, that their body is a temple of the Holy Spirit for a time, but then kicks out that Holy Spirit, the the Lord himself, through apathy or indifference or willful and deliberate and persistent sin. Now, this person may still call himself and consider himself a Christian. They may still have a Bible in the home or wear wear a cross around his neck, but his heart is empty. And Jesus says the last state... The condition that this person is in now is worse than before. Second Peter 2 spells this out clearly, plainly, in, 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 straightforward, in a straightforward manner, in, in, in plain language. It says this. If after they, that is the Christian, uh, have, they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its own vomit. And the pig, after washing herself, returns to the mud. This is what the scriptures say. It would have been better had they never heard the gospel than to have heard the gospel and then rejected it. Now, I know you've heard a lot of Christians say uh, something like this before. They'll throw around this uh, cliche or slogan. Once saved, always saved. Those who believe and teach this doctrine of once saved, always saved, they say it's actually impossible for a Christian to fall away. That once you are enlightened, once you have uh, the, the forgiveness of sins and salvation, then that remains until you die. It's not moving. It's not going to budge an inch. 
And, and when they hear these texts, like the ones you heard today, Luke 11, 2 Peter 2, when they hear these texts talking about losing salvation, what they say, this is how they rationalize it. They say, well, if someone seems to fall away, then the truth is, is that that person never really was a Christian to begin with. Uh, now, I'll, I'll put the best construction on this. I think they say this because they're trying to comfort the Christian. Because these are pretty terrifying texts, and they're trying to bring some sort of peace to the Christian. But it's a serious problem to say this, not only because it's unbiblical, which is reason alone, and it's already bad enough, but because this teaching leads Christians to complacency, and it makes them worse. A Christian may think, well, I am saved, so therefore I will go and do whatever I want. If I was truly saved back then, then it doesn't matter what I do now, because once saved, then always saved, then I'll never fall away. And then they go off and live a faithless life lived with lawless deeds. However, this teaching cuts both ways, uh, because if you're having a crisis of faith now, then maybe that points back to the fact that maybe you never really believed to begin with. If you have a moral failure today, then maybe you weren't really saved yesterday. And so if you've been doing well in the Christian life, but fall into grave sin now, and, 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 and you, then you fall into despair and think, look, if I wasn't truly a Christian, even in my best moment, what hope do I have now that I'm in my worst moment? Do you see this? So that those who are proud become more proud and those who are despairing fall into complete despair and they have no hope. Um, <clears throat> on the other hand, we have Christians who would read these texts and insist saying, see, you can lose your salvation. God has no part in it. So it's up to you to do enough. It's up to you to believe enough, to be faithful enough, to make sure you get saved and then stay saved. And it all depends upon you. You are the determining factor between those who are saved and those who are not. But this is a false teaching, too, because it points the Christian back to himself, his own works, and says that his salvation is completely in his own hands. In other words, salvation depends upon you. And so the people who think that they're good enough deceive themselves into thinking that they are good enough and therefore they deserve salvation. And the people who know their own failure and sin and guilt, then they fall into more uh, sin and guilt and they despair. So that those who are proud become even more proud and those who are despairing become more despairing. And all of this because they teach that salvation is in our own hands and not in God's. Okay, now if you've been paying attention, I think you see the problem here today. The question is, what does the Bible say? Can we lose our salvation or not? Is salvation in our hands or is it in God's hands? Which is it? The Bible says, on the one hand, that we can indeed fall away from the faith and lose our salvation. 
Psalm 51. You can just write this down or listen to the sermon later. Psalm 51, 1 Timothy 4, Matthew 24, 2 Peter 2, Luke 11, and so on. There text after text on this, verse after verse. And yet, on the other hand, the Bible clearly and plainly says that we cannot ultimately fall away from the faith or lose salvation. And the texts there are John 10 and Philippians 1 and 1 Peter 1 and Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 4 and Romans 11 and so on. The Bible says in Luke chapter 8 that some believe for a time or for a while and then in a time of testing they fall away. But then on the other hand the Bible also says in Ephesians 1 that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Uh, on the one hand, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 4 that the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith. And then the Bible also says in John chapter 10, verse 28, I give them, this is the words of the Christ himself, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them from my hand. So which is it? Can we fall away or has God elected us to salvation? Uh, the answer to these questions is yes. Both are true. Uh, now you might say, well, this is a contradiction and God can't co contradict himself. So what's going on? Well, this is what's going on is that the word of God is not just an encyclopedia or a dictionary. It's not just information. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing between bone and marrow, soul and spirit. So this means that this one word of God confronts you and pierces your heart in different ways at different times. I'll give you an analogy and then I'll uh, uh, move on here. Uh, imagine that you're at the top of a burning building, a thousand uh, feet uh, in, in the air. And now imagine that the only way out is there's a thin pole uh, that fell over and you have to walk on it carefully to cross over from one building to the next. Uh, now imagine it's the middle of the night. So you can't see where you're stepping. You don't know what, uh, the, what is in front of you or what the left or the right is really in, uh, according to your sight. Um, but from my angle, I, I can't see that. So you start to step on that pole and inch your way across while trying to maintain your balance. <clears throat> and you start to inch your way forward in this. And as you're going, uh, you start to lean a little bit too far right. And then I shout, lean left uh, to correct it. And then you start to lean too far to the left, and then I say, well, now lean to the right. Now you're going to fall off on the other side. And then this happens the whole way through until you get to uh, the other side. Now, the worst thing to do would be to tell you to lean into the direction that you are already going, right? And the right thing to do is to tell you to go then the other way. Well, that is kind of what it's like today with what the Word is doing. When you're becoming proud, and when you think that you'll never fall away, when you think that you can just expel the Holy Spirit from your heart without any repercussions or damage, then the Word of God warns you and says that you will fall away. You will make a shipwreck of your faith, and you'll be, believe for a time and then become worse than you've ever been. 
And then on the other side, when you're on the verge of despair, when you've sinned too great, too much, when you feel that you've gone so far that you can't come back, then that God can't possibly save you, then the verses that say God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world, that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ, that nothing can snatch you from his hand, are the verses that keep you from falling into then despair. So that the verses that warn you about falling away actually keep you from falling away by clinging to Jesus. And the verses that tell you of Jesus keeping you from falling away into despair are the ones that give you hope. So uh, do, you, do you understand this now? Maybe, maybe not that you understand it, but do you see how it works? Uh, to those of you who are proud in your sin, God says, take heed lest you fall. To those of you who are on the verge of despairing in your sin, God says, take heart. I have overcome the world. He keeps you on the straight and narrow path by keeping you from pride and keeping you from despair. He warns you about pride when he tells you about losing salvation. And when you're worried about losing salvation, he tells you to find it only in him. No matter the circumstance or your condition, he drives you always to turn away from yourself, your own efforts, but never to turn away from him, but to fix your eyes on him. Now, look, I I know that this is a difficult subject and can be confusing because we're talking of the things of God, which are far beyond us. But if you don't learn anything else today in the sermon, I want you to learn this well now. That you never outgrow your need for Jesus. Ever. No matter how good a life you have lived, you never need him less one day than the day before. You never get past that. You never never move past his suffering, his death and resurrection. That is on the forefront, the apple of our eye. You never mature beyond the word. The ones who do, the people who do, the people who think that they have gone past the word, that they have moved on, that there's something bigger and better to focus on, that they're enticed by the world. These are the ones who have moved beyond the gospel and they are the ones who lose their salvation. You need Jesus every single day because you sin every single day. You never outgrow your need for the gospel. In in fact, this is why Jesus dwells with you. This is why Jesus comes to you here in his word, in the divine service, in baptism, in the Lord's Supper, why he dwells with you in his word. He's not just hanging out with you. He's not just there to be with you. He's with you so that he can deliver to you the forgiveness of sins, the very thing that you need, so that every single moment he's pleading to the Father to look away from your sins, hiding your, your sins and your guilt and your shame, turning the, 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 the eyes of the Father away from your sins forever, to remember only the perfect obedience and sacrifice of Christ forever. That is why Christ dwells with you. And that is why you need him to dwell with you always. Look, uh, dear saints, only Jesus can save you. If you have invited 
unclean spirits into your heart, back into your heart. If you have indulged in sin and immorality this week, even this very morning, repent knowing that no matter how many times you have kicked Jesus out before, Jesus today in his grace and mercy comes to you once again. And he comes again to save you, to give you all of the forgiveness that he earned on his cross with every drop of sweat and blood from his body, to save you and make you his own. These unclean spirits, these sins are stronger than you, but they are not stronger than him. So he comes to you again in his flesh and his blood to take back his place in your heart and to dwell with you forever. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.